You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. This peace is something you have to work for. I got to get these things in my life. I just win the lottery, I'll be peaceful. <laughs> if I can just do this, if I can just do that, I'll be peaceful. I'll have peace. If I can just move to another city, I'll have peace. If I can just move into another relationship, I'll have peace. No. Instead of enjoying peace only when there's no difficulty in your life, you can enjoy this peace all the time. When you want peace, what do you do? It's common to turn to what you can experience. More money, change in location, better friends, status. But does that really work? As the disciples learned, as Pastor Dave will explain today, that kind of peace isn't going to last long term. Jesus is what you're looking for. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 14 as he continues his message, The Gift of Peace. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. What was he saying here? He's saying, guys, you have nothing to fear. You have absolutely nothing to fear. You might forget one of my words. You might even think you might misinterpret it, but the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into things and give you remembrance of what's happening. Why? Because his words are too important. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. God's words are too important to be forgotten. And when we forget those words, the Holy Spirit gives us words to speak, gives us words of life to speak. The Holy Spirit is going to teach us the truth from the beginning to end and bring memory in those words. Before here, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Comforter, but now he's clearly clearly saying the Holy Spirit. He identifies them that way, the one who is coming alongside them. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to speak to you the same way. I'm not going to be talking to you like this. I'm not going to constantly be talking to you one-on-one. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to teach you. He's going to lead you, and he's going to empower you. He's going to give you the all things you need. The works and teaching of Jesus are going to continue, guys, and they're going to continue in you. Now, through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is now going to teach them all things. And the Holy Spirit teaches us that we should continue in God's love. The Holy Spirit shows us God's love, and we continue in that love, continue seeking that love. The Son, the Father, all together. But we have a problem. We have a problem doing that. What's the problem? The natural man. The natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. He says this, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by the one. What's he saying here? 
We get frustrated when we try to talk spiritual things to the natural man. They haven't been born of the Spirit, so they can't understand what you're trying to say. They don't know what they're trying to say until the Spirit quickens their heart. The only reason that we can see it is because we have spiritual eyes. Unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So we have spiritual eyes. You ever talk to somebody about spiritual things and feel like you're talking to a Barbie doll? They just kind of look at you with a dumb look as you try to tell them spiritual things. There's no comprehension whatsoever. Sometimes they listen patiently because they're trying to not bug you or disrespect you. Other times they scream back at you and yell at you for talking to them that way. I mean, this is the natural man. But the Spirit says he will bring to you all things of remembrance. So as you're talking to somebody, the Scriptures come. The Scriptures come to you. Now, I said this in first service, and I agree. What I need is I need a Bible for dummies. I'm a dummy. I need a Bible for dummies. But the Lord has given me one. It's called the Holy Spirit. So when I'm witnessing to somebody, I don't constantly have to go, what was that Scripture? Oh, man, what, what was that Scripture? I had it right here. The Holy Spirit gives it to me. Now, come on, wait a minute. You can't tell me, those of you who are witness people, those of you who are talking to, talking to others about Jesus Christ, you can't tell me when you're in a great conversation with somebody about the Lord, all of a sudden you spew out this, this scripture and then afterwards you go, where did that come from? I didn't memorize that scripture. How do I say that? Uh, the Holy Spirit is bringing all things to your remembrance. I mean, after all, who's the author of the book? Holy Spirit, right? I think he knows what he wrote. So he's going to bring into remembrance. Jesus wasn't going to leave these disciples comfortless. He wasn't going to leave them in turmoil. He wasn't going to leave them in fear. He wasn't going to leave them in dispute. So he looks at them, and the last gift he gives them before they leave the supper is his glorious peace. Shalom. Oh, shalom. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. One commentator said, quote, this verse is among the most precious things Jesus ever said, unquote. Not only did Jesus promise to send the Holy Spirit to comfort their hearts, to give them comfort, but he also sent the Holy Spirit in the form of peace. My peace I give to you. My peace, my shalom, my wholeness, my completeness, all my love, all the security, everything I have, I give to you. My shalom. Accept it by faith. What does Paul call this in Philippians 4-7? The peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace that surpasses knowledge. To the world, Peace is the absence of conflict. Peace to Jesus is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the midst of conflict. Are you agitated today? Are you afraid today? You don't have to be overwhelmed because the Holy Spirit wants you to have this peace, wants to pour out this peace upon you. What is your job if you choose to accept it, Mr. Phelps? Accept it by faith. Receive it. Receive it. Receive this beautiful gift. 
That's because he's promised never to leave us. He's never, never forsake us. He, he's promised to bring us safely to his side. And when we're with enemy, when we're with Jesus, no enemy can defeat us. Are we not overcomers in him? Are we not more than conquerors in Christ Jesus? Read your Bibles. Come on. Are we not that in Christ Jesus? That should give us our heart peace. Let not our hearts be troubled. Jesus is trying to comfort these guys. He wants them to be content with what they have, but not what, what they don't have. He wants their eyes on him, not their eyes on I need this and I need that. I, I won't be content until I have that. And I'm going to hold my breath until I get it. He wants them to experience joy in their lives. A joy. And that's what this peace does. This peace gives you joy in the midst of horrible circumstances. We have been through some horrible circumstances in this church and are going through some right now. You're going to need God's peace to get through this. You're going to need the peace of God that surpasses all understanding to make your way to the other side through this. It only comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. It only comes by hoping in him and trusting in everything that he is. Not like the world trusts. Not like the world gives. Jesus says, I give you shalom. I leave you shalom. My peace. It's cool because it's Jesus' peace. It belongs to him and he's giving it to you. It's a free gift. It's a gift of God. What does it look like? What does this peace look like? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like peace from the world. The world bases their peace on resources, what I have. That's what they base their resources on, what I have. Jesus' peace is based on relationship, who you know. Not what I have, but it's who I know. When you're right with God, you enjoy this peace. When you are right with God, you enjoy this peace. It's in your heart. The world depends upon personal ability, but the Christian depends upon spiritual ability. In the world, this peace is something you have to work for. i got to get these things in my life. If I can just win the lottery, I'll be peaceful. <laughs> if I can just do this, if I can just do that, I'll be peaceful. I'll have peace. If I can just move to another city, I'll have peace. If I can just move into another relationship, I'll have peace. No. Instead of enjoying peace only when there's no difficulty in your life, you can enjoy this peace all the time. What does Paul say about this peace? What does it do? It guards your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus. Guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Guards it from what? From worry. From trouble. It guards it. One commentator said this, quote, the world walks by sight and depends upon the externals. Christians walk by faith and depends upon the eternals, unquote. So what does this peace of Jesus look like? What does it look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. They're all in a boat going across the Sea of Galilee. Waves are coming across the stern. Sails just about broken in half. They're bailing. Water. They're crying out, we're going to die. What's going on here? Where is he? What's he doing? The peace of Jesus looks like him curled up in the front, sleeping. Why? Because he knew the Father had everything under control. He knew the Father had everything under control. 
Jesus is saying to you today, here's my peace. I have everything under control. It may not look like it. Oh, boy. It may not look like it at all, but Jesus is telling you today, I'm still in control. I have it under control. In fact, he's saying to you, relax. I got this. Chill out. I got it. He's looking right at 11 guys who are going, they're so afraid. He assures them one more time that he's going to come back for them. They'll see him again. Look at 28 and 29. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it comes to pass, you may believe. Why should they rejoice but Jesus is going? Why should they be happy that Jesus is leaving them? He said, you should rejoice. They were troubled. Yes, they were. But he said, they should rejoice. They should rejoice for their sake, for Jesus' sake, for the world's sake. He's going to the Father. Imagine going back to the Father. He's going back to the place that he left. He's going back to glory. When he was here as a man, he was so encumbered by the body. He gave up so much. He gave up so much and came down to earth. But now he's going back to the Father and he gets it all back. And he's going to be with the Father in glory. They should rejoice that he's going up there. And he's going to start building my mansion. He's going to start getting that ready for me. What a wonderful thing. We should be rejoicing. And he's going to receive me again in glory. And then guess what else he does? Oh, in his spare time, he makes intercession for you to the Father. He makes intercession. You see my, your children down there? They need some help. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for you. And he's praying for you right now. He's praying for us right now as we look at this. Jesus knew things were going to get ugly real fast. He knew things were going downhill real fast. So he tells them in verse 30, 31, let's finish this out. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Jesus knew that Satan was coming for him. Satan had him in the crosshairs, and he was coming for him. He knew at that very minute, Judas Iscariot was down making a deal with the rulers, religious rulers, collecting his 30 pieces of silver, and he knew exactly. Listen, I know exactly where he's going. He'll be in the Garden of Gethsemane. Follow me. I'll take you right to him. That was the plan. Jesus knew that that was happening as he spoke. But he had such love for the group in front of him. He had such love and calmness as he spoke to them. This enough should have been calm for the disciples. This should have been so calm. He was the calmest one of all. But he he names two great enemies of the Christian. Jesus names two great enemies of the Christian. He names their spiritual enemies, the world and the devil or Satan. He says, these are our enemies. Satan is coming for me and the, the world won't understand. A little while, I won't talk to you. The ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing to do with me. What does he mean by that? Jesus has overcome the world. On the cross, Jesus defeats Satan. Satan has no hold of him. If you're in Christ, I got something to tell you. Satan has no grip on you. If you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, he has no grip on you. 
We're in Christ. He has no foothold in your life. Satan wants your hearts to be troubled. He wants you to worry. He wants you to grieve. He wants you to be upset. Because when you're doing that, you're not praising Jesus. When you're upset and you're worried and you're in turmoil and your insides are going all over the place and you have ajna, you're not worshiping the Lord. You're not praising him. And he loves it when we don't praise the Lord. This is what Gusick said. This is my Gusick quote. Quote, Jesus could confidently and truthfully say that Satan had absolutely no hook, no foothold, no toehold of deception in him. Satan could not push Jesus to the cross. Jesus went in loving obedience to God the Father and out of love for the world. Unquote. So he now lets the disciples know that he feels that he has said almost everything he needs to say. I'm not going to talk to you much longer. I want you to do this for your encouragement. I need to prepare myself for what's going to happen now. What's going to happen next? I don't have a lot to say. But he does, to the contrary, 15, 16, and 17, he has a lot more to say, but it's in a totally different context, a totally different context. But he recognizes time is short. Time is short. We're still so close to the cross now. He's about ready to go over to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about ready to be handed over to the authorities, and then you know the whole deal there that we'll study. Jesus knows time's crossed. He knows that he has to go to a cross and suffer and hang on a cruel Roman cross to complete God's commandment. To be obedient to God, he has to go to the cross. Many people think he failed that day on the cross. But quite the contrary, that was the greatest victory ever for mankind. Because the victory on the cross paid it all. The victory on the cross gave us our freedom. Gave us our freedom. There was no kink in the Lord's armor. He went to the cross willingly. And at this point, they leave the table. They start to make their way slowly to Gethsemane. But we don't read about them getting there until chapter 18, verse 1. So there's still some more things to say. But this entire chapter has been set up for this shalom. This entire chapter was a setup for this shalom to be passed down to you as well as the disciples. Peace. How many of you struggle for it? How many of you constantly struggle for peace? Always looking for it. Always have an angle. If I only can do this, I'll have peace. You're always struggling for it. What happens when you don't get that peace that you're struggling for? Anxiety. Oh, stress. Anger. How many times? Now, I know you guys are so much more faithful than I, but how many times have you said this? I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm at the end of my rope. I can't handle it. I'm just a bundle of nerves. I'm at my wit's end. And for me, that's not very far because, never mind. Anyhow, I feel like resigning from the human race. My life is falling apart. You know what Jesus is telling you today? Let not your hearts be troubled. Shalom. Shalom. My peace I give to you. And this was the theme of the entire chapter. He started out by saying, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Their hearts were troubled because of the things that he'd been saying. He was going away. 
They were troubled because they didn't know what they would do without him. They were troubled because they didn't understand what he was saying to them. And they were afraid. They didn't know what the future would bring. Their hearts were troubled and their minds were fearful. They need to be replaced by his peace. And that's why he said, shalom, my peace, my shalom, I give to you. In the context of his promise, his peace coming by the Holy Spirit is going to take care of their troubled heart. It's going to take care of their fear. Because fear and peace are mutually exclusive. They're like oil and water. They don't fit. They don't fit together. Jesus was saying to them, I give you my peace, my shalom. Don't be afraid. I'm sending the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. I'm going to come to you again. Don't be afraid. And when I come to you, I'm going to take you home with me. Don't be afraid. Shalom. I give you my peace. So, brothers and sisters, what's troubling you today? What is on your heart today? What is on your heart today? Jesus is saying the same thing to you. Don't be afraid. I give you my shalom. Don't be afraid. I've sent you the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. I'm coming again. I'm coming for you. Don't be afraid because when I come, I'm taking you with me. And you'll go back with faith in God, with faith in his son. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive his peace. We can have an untroubled heart in quite an untroubled time. There's a beautiful scripture, and I'm going to end here. A gorgeous scripture that I just love. Let me read it to you. Some of you know it by heart. It's in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. The Lord is speaking through Isaiah, and he says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you, trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. Perfect peace. What do we say at the end of our benediction? Shalom, shalom. Perfect peace. God's peace is relational. It's not circumstantial. It's an active peace, not a passive peace. He actively dispenses his peace to those whose minds are stayed on him. So we keep focused on him and we keep praying and we keep praying for him to reveal himself when we keep praying for him to show us wonderful things. What are the effects of righteousness? The effect of righteousness is peace. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be added, including God's peace. If there's one quality or one characteristic that every Christian should possess, it's the peace of God in our hearts and in our lives. And it should be evident. Again, you're not a robot. I'm not saying you don't have feelings. But you have an eternal peace right in here. A peace that you can't understand why you're peaceful. Maybe you don't have that today. Maybe you've been struggling. Maybe you don't have that. Maybe you want that. You are a sure.
The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at assurehoperadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.